Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. Hello, everyone. I'm Maeve Higgins, and I'm afraid of change. I am, but I know that the best beginnings start with an ending. Welcome to My Best Breakup, the show about breakups that transform our lives. Sometimes you go through a big transformative moment and that moment leads to a breakup, which leads to even more transformation. That's what happened to my guest this week. When she turned 30, the world shifted under her feet and it served as a big wake-up call. It was time for her to break up with the idea of perfection. Grace Bonney is the founder and the brilliant mind behind the super popular blog Design Sponge. And she makes the magazine Good Company and she's got this book called In the Company of Women. There's just so much that she does. I don't know if there's anything she can't do, but we'll find out. A lot of Grace's work revolves around design and aesthetics and the way things look on the outside. But of course, that is not always a true reflection of what's actually going on in the inside. To be honest, I have a tricky time with this too. I want the world to think that I'm doing great, that I live like this quirky, perfect life with an Instagrammable apartment where I definitely don't ever let my plants die or my pizza boxes pile up under my bed and somehow on top of the washing machine. (laughs) I think that happened to my sister before. It's, It's really tragic. But, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that perfection is like I actually don't think it's possible. And perhaps it's not even something that we should want, you know, but that's difficult. I know. But I think Grace has figured out how to be honest about it all. And maybe we can, too. Grace's love affair with perfection started early. And doesn't it really start early for all of us? Grace was an ambitious, smart, savvy young woman with an idea. Before design blogs were even a thing, she decided to start Design Sponge right out of college. I was 23. Yeah. Baby. A baby. What um what drew you to that? And also like I kind of don't like the question like what gave you the confidence, but like what gave you the wherewithal? I mean sheer naivete. Just not knowing any better. I think that's all you can do when you're fresh out of college. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. I just thought it was fun. Blogging was free. There was no pressure. And it was the first time I had a place to talk where no one was telling me what to do. That's a really good freeing feeling. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done in the pursuit of perfection? Ooh, girl, what haven't I done? Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I don't even know where to start with one. Um, <laughs> done a lot about haircuts. I've gotten, um, I made a lot of bad writing decisions. Um, I honestly think the, the biggest mistake I made was the very beginning of Design Sponge when I decided to write in a way that I thought would be more popular and would be more packageable as a brand. Um, I don't think I realized that's what I was doing, but that's definitely what I was doing. And I was a big fan of the blog Wonquette, which was a political blog. And I just thought, oh, okay, she's snarky and sassy and calls everybody out. And that's that's what I should do because I think that's what people want. And I wrote in a way that just did not feel natural to me. But I was convinced this is the only way that you get your voice out there. And it was horrible. And the response was snarky. And I could not handle it. And you mentioned haircuts. (laughs) Oh, so many. 
so many bad haircuts. The Rachel. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of bad hair moments. I've eventually just gone into full like age 13 ponytail mode now. and <laughs> That's fine with me. But yeah, my go to when I'm upset or want something to be something that it's not is to like whack my hair off and see how that makes me feel. Yes. Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? Did you ever feel that like as you're public persona was growing and I feel like you also started at it you know early on and off in the in the internet like as we know it now that like there was this huge growth did you ever feel that like your own personal life had to reflect your success online absolutely I mean it explains a lot of the reasons I stayed in the closet for so long the way that I decorated my house the way that I dressed how did you dress Oh, like a human cupcake. Oh, wow. Like an anthropology <laughs> rack come to life in a human being. Um, everything had like a snap, a buckle, a bow. Like everything <laughs> was just like, I think I was living out what I imagined my parents wanted me to be yeah. and just like a very good Southern girl. And I think that's what I thought I needed to be. And I built all of the things that looked like what I thought was perfect And then I realized I was very, very unhappy and that I had done that to myself, which is a hard thing to realize when there's nobody to blame but yourself. I mean, I wouldn't say the pursuit of perfection is a personal choice. I think there's so many huge, often hidden kind of swirling pressures that are around driving you to look like a human cupcake. (laughs) It's true. And as for the anthropology rack, I still want to look that way sometimes. Like I'd love to be in a meadow in a beautiful floaty dress. I, I, I really would. Like it's not me, but I can see why you went there, you know. So, OK, so you mentioned clothes. You mentioned it made you the pursuit of perfection, like made you stay in the closet for longer than you needed to be or wanted to be. Absolutely. I think that especially when you're coming from my community. So design blogs are a very particular niche of the web where the vast majority of people are thin, white, wealthy, cisgendered, married ladies. And I was one of those ladies and felt like, okay, well, this is where I fit in, but never felt like I fit in and couldn't quite put my finger on it and thought it was a billion other things. And I think when I finally let go of needing to be who I thought people wanted me to be, which again, wasn't actually true, just a thing. I was telling myself that other people wanted me to be this thing. I turned 30 and it was like a chemical switch in my body. Something just said like, you are done. You need to stop. You need to move on and let go of this. Like if people do not like you for exactly who you are right now, which is messy and confusing, oh well, move on. Find new friends, find new people to support you. It's okay. It's so hard to fit into a mold that just isn't you. Grace was finally ready to break out of that mold. She was ready to leave those straight, white, rich ladies behind. She was ready for her breakup with perfection. It was bizarre. A lot of my friends who were all turning 30 at the same time all got divorced. Several of them came out. And it was this very interesting moment of I think we all kind of felt like something was in the air. And I I physically felt like my body chemistry just shifted and something was different. And I don't know what it was. Wait, I love this idea of a whole gang of women just being like, I'm cutting my hair and I'm not straight anymore. Yeah. 
Oh, it happens. It full, I mean, welcome to Brooklyn. That happens. <laughs> I mean, it was a real moment. And, and I watch it happening in a younger generation, too. And I don't know if it's something that happens, you know, at big decade markers or what it is. But I also just think in general, society is becoming less and less insistent upon labels and perfection. And I think that hopefully encourages people to be more curious about everything. So can we talk about this big shift? Like you said, like your hormones changed. I mean, they literally did. I mean, that's just like part of becoming an older woman. I think like as you get older, your body shifts, hormones shift, like everything changes. And in the course of like five years, I got divorced. I came out, I think two or three years later, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. I lost my like co-worker, my closest co-worker at my company everything changed and it was this moment where it just felt like the whole universe was like we're gonna take your purse turn it upside down dump everything out and now you have to refill it with all new things and I think that happens more often than we all talk about and I think it's seen as failure or it's seen as a bad thing but looking back on it I'm really glad it happened because I think I could have really easily just kept down that path. What did it feel like then before you knew that it was what you needed? I felt like I was being punished for something. I felt like uh, I'm not a religious person, but it felt like a biblical moment. It felt very much like, what have you done wrong? And I did. And I hurt people in the process of that, like ending relationships, whether they're professional or personal. There's trauma there. And that honestly was a big part of it was recognizing that no matter how hard I try to be perfect, I can still hurt people. And I do. And that is a really uncomfortable thing to grapple with. And it, again, therapy, 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 therapy. Um, (laughs) Just lots of of coming to terms with what a ridiculous fake pedestal I had tried to put myself on of if I look perfect, if I act perfect, if I never upset anybody with anything I post, I can't be a less than great person. And newsflash, you can. But that was like out there, right? This idea of perfection and that you had it all together and it was going really great. Like that was out there. This I put separate it there. Thing. You put it there, right. So um, how did you break that into some sort of reality? And how did your, you know, all these hundreds of thousands of people who are watching what you're doing, your design sponge community, how do they react? For the most part, they handled a lot of changes pretty well. Um, I waited to come out publicly for over a year um, because I needed time to just grapple with that myself. And from working online, I know just do not put anything on the internet that you are not ready to have fully editorialized. So I needed to wait until I really didn't care about what anybody said. And I'm glad I did because I think, which was my own fault, when you put a relationship in the public sphere, people have opinions on it. Even if you're not famous, it doesn't matter. People have opinions on everything. You just have to accept that. And I think kind of watching people say things about me and just watching and not responding was a really powerful lesson because it has helped me just let people have their opinions and not let them become my own. And that's a big part of being okay to be as close to fully yourself online as you can be. You mentioned earlier, like these other women friends of yours who had also maybe like left marriages and come out and Was that like a helpful? I was fortunate to have friends who were going through very similar things. And it was like the French fry and champagne club where like we would just go out and get those two (laughs) things together and split them and kind of look at each other and go, this is not where we thought we were going to be right now. And 
you know, sometimes you just stumble through it with friends. And that's the best way you can get through most things. I'm like so distracted by the idea of French fries and champagne together. That's it's good. It's a good high-low. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. And no one said great champagne, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it's champagne is champagne for me. <laughs> You're even like designing the heartbroken snacks you have. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> it's a great high-low. <laughs> I love that grape. So this tumultuous moment in your personal life and also with your health, I didn't mean to skip over that. That's a huge a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes is a really big life changing. Let me explain to you about your. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so much. Did it change your perspective on work and like and what a kind of career success looks like to you? It changed everything and not in the obvious health ways like it. It is one of the most effective tools that has helped me let go of the concept of perfection because the idea of like a perfect blood sugar that never changes and never moves is doesn't exist. Like it really doesn't. And I wear this monitor on my arm and it attaches to my phone. And I have this like every five minutes it tracks my blood sugar and I get a little chart and it's an app and it's very iPhone-y and I can see everything in real time and it's these, you know, crests and waves and all of this stuff and it's a constant reminder that you can never be a flat line. You're always changing. Something's always going up or always going down. It's just always changing and seeing that visual representation of, of how life is not a still flat line, it just eventually sunk in and I was like, oh, okay, there's no point in even trying to like achieve balance. Like what is balance? We're always in flux. We're always changing. I'm always going to be apologizing for something. Like it's just being a human. And I think that the internet wants us so much to not be human. It wants us to be a brand. And I think we have to resist that at all, at all chances. I really love that that biological reality, that she doesn't have the perfect, constant blood sugar level, that that's what's keeping her in check with her ideas about perfection. We all have our ups and downs, and it's really about time that we accept them. Now, in a post-perfection world, Grace is living a pretty wonderful, imperfect life, and she's using her book and blog and magazine to encourage others to do the same. In the aftermath of her breakup, she's way more open and way more realistic about her definition of success. I mean, my current project, this magazine, is not profitable. Like, that's a thing that I think people don't talk about enough. And so many of the businesses in any sphere that get written about, you know, that have a billion dollars of venture capital, they're still not profitable businesses. And so for me, I think that's why I do most of the work I do right now with Good Company is just trying to dispel the myth that perceived success equals financial success. It rarely does. And I think no matter what someone thinks of me, I know exactly what I have in my bank account and what I don't have in my bank account. Yeah. And I like to talk about that stuff because I think it's important. I think something can look glossy and shiny or sound polished, but that doesn't mean that it's a success necessarily, um, you know, in the in business sense. Something can be a success to me if I feel really good about it. And like I feel really good about the magazine that we're doing and I love it. But are we making money? No, we're not. And so I don't know what's going to happen with it. And it may not exist past like the third issue, but There's something terrifying about that, but also something so freeing to just say, okay, like I cannot force this to be the perfect magazine or the perfect runaway hit. It's not. And that's okay. 
I'm definitely ambitious and I work a lot and like I want to be successful, right? These are things like I probably couldn't have even said like 10 years ago, but now I'm like, I'm ambitious and I want success. So it's interesting to hear you talking about it because like what do we do with all this ambition when we put aside the idea of perfection? I think for me, ambition is I always think of it as just energy and where do I want to put that energy? And I used to put 100% of it into work and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't find that I get a very good return on my investment there. Um, And so I've put more and more of my energy into being of service to people in my community. Um, And we left New York City and live in the Hudson Valley in a small little farming town. And the volunteer work that we've done there, even though it's it's once a week, that regular commitment has, has... just made me feel like the time I put in there that I get something so valuable back. What do you do? We cook every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. We cook in a basement of a church and we provide meals for people who are living in our area who have chronic um, diseases. The majority of them, I think it started with um, AIDS and HIV patients and we just cook for them and then we pack it up and then it gets delivered. And that consistency of every single week being in a place and knowing that this is something that is needed that doesn't exist to the internet. Like that that same thing doesn't happen. You don't get to see people and hand them things and know that this moment that happened that's very defined and your goal is right there in a little plastic dish in front of you. It's just so simple and so meaningful. I rarely have that moment working on the internet. And so I'm trying to put more of my energy into finding those moments. So is there something inspirational about imperfection Or like, how do you process this kind of juxtaposition in your life? I always think that being able to acknowledge lows and own them and talk about them publicly makes you a part of this like very meaningful and relatable club of people who understand that life is not a straight line and that life is messy as all get out. And (laughs) I'd rather be in that club. Yeah. And I love hearing about these ladies like throwing off the shackles because Often it's really hard, I think, for women to accept anything that's less than perfect. Like as in, if it's not perfect, then it's a complete failure. But also, what's wrong with failure? Like, I love failure. I don't want to do it all the time. (laughs) And I don't want to do it in a way that leaves me with the inability to pay my own mortgage. Yeah. But failure really teaches you something about yourself that success does not. Success can teach you a lot of very deceiving things. And I think you realize who your friends are, what you're good at, and most importantly, what really matters to you when you fail, because it will bring up your ego in a really big way. But I think it also shows you if you're willing to pick up and move forward, that it's something you really want to be doing, even if it's not a smash success. I agree with you. But like I before you understand that you don't believe that I feel like well, who wants to like voluntarily fail yeah <laughs> it sucks <laughs> I mean it sucks to fall on your face it does suck to fall on your face so we wanted to do a nice thing for Grace we're giving her a do over so back to the 30th birthday Everything feels like it's falling to pieces and she's left trying to put it all back together, exploring her new queer identity, trying to figure out single life. So what would she have done differently? I fell into a very particular group of out women when I came out that convinced me that in order to be gay, period, that I needed to have a very specific haircut. I needed to like add way more tattoos to my body. I needed to, you know, dress, eat, do a certain thing. And 
I internalized that so fully. I was more depressed than I'd ever been. Um, I was, I mean, I was vaguely suicidal when I came out and it was not a great place to be. And I just was the lowest low I had ever felt. And to have somebody say, you need to do this. I did. I started buying different clothes. I was like researching mohawks on the internet. Like I was just like, okay, I can't, I can't be me. You were trying to be like the perfect lesbian. Yeah, exactly. It was like, how do I be the perfect queer person? And that doesn't exist. But I was just convinced that I would never find somebody. And I knew I didn't want, I mean, I was too old to like, I had no interest in like going out and like playing the scene and doing any of that. I wanted to find a person to be happy with and to share my life with. And I was literally told like, well, the way you are right now, yeah, that's not going to happen. Nobody's going to love you like that. Like nobody's gay who wears J. Crew. Like that's not going to happen. And I really lucked out. And uh, my friends Clay and Lisa kind of sat me down and were like, hey, don't change. Like, yes, everything is an upheaval right now. But the last thing you should do is change who you are and the way that you exist in the world. Like this is one tiny facet of you that is shifting. And I still I mean, I cut my hair funny. I bought weird clothes that are not weird clothes, just clothes that were not me. And I tried so badly to look like something that I wasn't. And it wasn't until I just stopped doing that, that I met Julia. And it was just it was so good to meet somebody who also kind of fell in that camp of not presenting or having an aesthetic that looked like any specific anything. So if I could go back, I would just tell myself to calm down that Mm. it's always always okay to be exactly who you are. It's never okay to tell somebody that there is a perfect way to be something. There's no perfect identity and there's no perfect wardrobe for any person you want to be in the world. So has this breakup with perfection, has it been a clean one? Do you find that like obsession with perfection comes sneaking back in again? Oh, it's always there. It's a voice. It's a voice like any other that just sits there and kind of nags at you. But I've gotten better at at just drowning it out with happier music instead. And when that creeps in, I talk to somebody. And that is the greatest resource ever to have some sort of support system, whether that's my wife or my friends or my coworkers, to just be like, I'm feeling jealous today or I'm feeling competitive today or I'm just feeling like this isn't working and what does that mean about me? So when like perfectionism does come sneaking back up again, it sounds like you can identify it now and like Mm -hmm. you can like you can name it as like, hey, that's jealousy. That's, you know, so do you like speak to it at all? Do you know that movie Inside Out with Amy Poehler? That (laughs) has become such a powerful visual tool for me to remember that. (laughs) the jealousy or fear or anger all the little people of different colors that live in my head <laughs> they're there for a good purpose and they serve you know they say serve some sort of function in my brain to help figure out the world and the things around me but i shouldn't love or hate any of them more than the other and it's such a simple like literal childlike explanation of emotion but i found it so helpful because then when jealousy pops up or it's typically fear Mm. um when that pops up i just imagine that tiny little figure and the lady from the office who did the voice (laughs) and i just think like oh phyllis it's okay like you're there for a reason (laughs) you're here to remind me you know of something and to just see it and imagine it kind of floating past and then going okay that's a thing it's here Mm. it's not going to stop me and it doesn't mean that everything's wrong it's just a part of being a human who has lots of different feelings Grace, thank you so much. It was lovely to speak to you. Thanks for having me. It seems like perfect people shouldn't have feelings. They just walk around with a smile frozen onto their faces with impeccable haircuts. 
thank goodness grace isn't perfect and thank goodness none of us are perfect because we're not, right? But really, perfection is a hard idea to break up with. Even if I don't feel like I need to be perfect all the time, I still hear those little voices in my head. They tell me that my pants aren't the right style or I don't have enough Instagram followers or I really need a new haircut. But hopefully after hearing Grace's story, we can all be a little bit better at shutting those mean little voices and hopefully get closer to being honest about who we are. My guest today was Grace Bonney. Go to her Instagram at DesignSponge for a beautiful glimpse into her gorgeously designed life. And for more about this show, head over to our website, hello-sunshine.com. Next week, we're talking to the one and only Hannah Gadsby about her own best breakup. I've always just sort of found it really funny, self-deprecating really funny, yeah. you know, and you know, I caught myself, uh, you know, a few years back, my, my, it was almost like Tourette's, um, where I'd say something mm. and they go, oh, you know, when you say something out loud and you shouldn't have, right. instead of going, I shouldn't have said that out loud, I go, oh, I hate myself. Like, because it's kind oh, of God. funny, but then I'm like, oh, I probably do a little bit. In the meantime, tell us what you think. Use hashtag my best breakup and tell us all about your best breakup. Who knows? Maybe you'll be on our next show. And make sure to subscribe and review applepodcast.com slash breakup or wherever you listen to podcasts. My Best Breakup is a production of Hello Sunshine. It's executive produced by Amy S. Choi, Charlotte Coe, Rebecca Lair and Reese Witherspoon. Senior producer is Lindsay Cradwell, and sound design is by Jocelyn Gonzalez and Samantha Gatzek. Music composed by Jeff Tang. Production support by Shelby Sandlin and Mary Phillips Sandy. I sometimes have an image of me and like I'm in a turtleneck in the future, but like <laughs> that's as close as it gets. That's so good. I have imagined myself as either like an off-brand version of an Eileen Fisher model yes. or like the cool <laughs> older woman from the like Lens Crafters commercial who has an asymmetrical white bob and really great glasses. Yeah.